For the past several weeks, we've been, we've been going through a, a series talking about, talking about questions and, and, and um, the fact that we have to make decisions. That's just a fact of life. I mean, you, every day you have to make decisions, regardless of big, small, and different. You, you have to make decisions. And so what we've tried to do over the past several weeks is to give you a, a tool that would help you in the decision-making process, regardless of uh, what gender you were or what social economic background, uh, because these tools cut across. They cut across the grain of, of everything in life. And um, it's just so important for us to remember that with the decisions that we make in life, there are going to be consequences. True? Some of us wish that we could go back and we could, we could redo some of the decisions in life that we've made. Uh, and there are, there are going to be some decisions that, that you're going to make um, that, man, you just wish you never had to deal with. Uh, there are going to be some decisions in life um, that you have to make that you never want to have to make. We've given you some illustrations. One of those is the potential for job change. Let's say things are going well at work. Um, you put in a resume, though, just on a qualm. Somebody asks you about doing that, you do it. All of a sudden, it comes up that they want to offer you this job, and the money's really good. But is it really what's best? Because to take that job, you're going to have to make some adjustments. And is it, is it worth it? Is it what God wants you to do, or are you attracted just to the benefits of, of what it says that it offers? So you've got to make a decision. What are you going to do? Um, another one is the possibility that maybe somebody's trying to persuade you to take a public office position. Let's just say that people are tired and they're fed up with politics, Larry. And they, and the, you don't have to sort of laugh about that. <laughs> and they look at you and they go, you know, Danny Polk, you're the man. You're an honest guy. You know, you, you, you tell the truth. And Danny, we want you to, to represent us and we want you to be our next congressman. And you look at them and you say, oh man, that's really good. But is that what's best? Is that what God wants? I mean, it's really encouraging for somebody to think that way of you and that they would even want to put you in that position and they'd want to support you. But is that really what God would have you do? Um, or let's say that you've got a child and your child has been in, in, invited to be part of, a, say, a travel team. And it's really important in your child. And so this is, man, this hits some of you guys right where you are because your child comes to you, man, dad, did you understand that I was invited to be a part of this and part of this and part of this and part of this? And you're looking, but son, we don't have the cash, but son, we don't have the time and son, we don't have, you know, we just, we can't do it. But dad, you don't understand all my buddies are participating in it. So what do you do? It's a decision you really don't want to make, but you're going to have to do something. So how are you going to make that decision? And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to give you a, a couple of tools that would help you because the scenarios are endless. And every one of those scenarios are going to require a response. We started out with the first question. And the first question is probably one of the most difficult questions to ask ourselves because it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves. And we went back and we looked at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, and we told the story. And in the middle of that story, in Jeremiah 17, 9, he, he reminded us and told us that the heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, it is so easy to talk ourselves into doing or, or not doing whatever we want to based on the benefits of what we'll receive. And so we ask the question, am I being completely honest with myself? When you feel yourself sort of leaning in to make a decision, 
to ask yourself, now why am I doing this? What's the reasoning behind this? Am I being completely honest or am I deceiving myself? What's the motivating factor behind the process? And then sort of the twist on it, Tracy, is really? Because how many times have you talked yourself into doing something that you knew probably wasn't what you needed to do? And you knew somebody was going to ask you to defend that decision. And so you'd already come up with a whole list of excuses, Doug. I know you've never done this. A whole list of excuses of why you were acting, why you were going to act out and why you were going to do or make that specific choice. And then last week we came back and we asked the question, and that question was, what kind of story do you want to one day look back and tell? Because the truth is, is that every one of us in this room will one day and look back and tell a story. It might be with your grandchildren one day. It might be with your children. It might be with a bunch of friends. You guys have just gotten together and you say, man, I remember back. And then all of a sudden you stop and you go, I don't think I want to tell that part of the story. We've all been there, every one of us. But the truth is, is that as we live, we're writing a book. And one day that story will be told. Maybe by you or it might be by somebody else. Have you ever been to a funeral where somebody is standing up and giving a eulogy? One day that will be you. And one day somebody will tell your story. It'll be a pastor that'll stand up and tell a story that he's heard. Maybe he knows you personally. It might be a story he doesn't know, but they have told you all the stories. It might be a family member. It might be a child that stands up and tells your story. But the, the question is, what kind of story will they tell Today's the third question, and that question is, if you want to write it down, is there a stress that needs to be addressed? Is there a stress that needs to be addressed? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've had to make a decision, and in the midst of that, you were, you were, um, you were leaning into some type of, there was a moral or ethical implication to that decision? Uh, and I'm not talking about killing somebody, and I'm not talking about shooting somebody's tires out or anything like that. But in the midst of having to make a decision, there was some type of a stress that was involved in that decision-making process. And it was immoral, or it was ethical, or it was something that was spiritual. And in the midst of it, you could have overlooked it. You could have overlooked it. It would have been so easy to overlook it and not even know that it was there. But there was a voice that was inside of your head that said, Be careful. What are you doing? Sort of that gut check. Are you with me? You ever had that voice that sort of just checked your spirit? And in the midst of that, um, it's like it raises a question and it causes a stress. It might even be something to start off with that you were completely unaware of. Might have been something that you didn't even know, but all of a sudden you discovered it. It's like coming home from the store. You went out to get a couple of jars of peanut butter and, and something else, and you get home. And then you dawn on you, man, my bill was a little bit low. I wonder why it was low. And then you take the bill out and you look at it to realize that they didn't charge you for two jars of peanut butter. They only charged you for one jar of peanut butter. What are you going to do with that? What does that voice say in your head? What does that little check in your spirit say? What do you do? Or let's say that uh, you go to see Troy at Chili's and 
man, you're sitting there, you're having this great meal, and the, and the waitress brings you the bill, and you realize that the bill is a few dollars cheaper than what you were originally, because all of us probably sit down and start calculating is, okay, how much can I afford? What can I afford? What can I not afford? And then you've already got in your mind what the bill is going to be. They bring you the bill, and the bill is a good amount lower than what you were anticipating. And you start reading out to figure out that it, they brought you the wrong bill. So the waitress comes back to take your ticket. What do you say? I, 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 th I think you made a mistake. Or do you just sort of ignore that voice? You know what you need to do. All of a sudden, you've got to make a decision. Or, or let's say that a great il illustration is IRS time is coming. By the way, we do have a lawyer in here. Um, let's say IRS is coming. And you, man, you're wanting to write off, you're right, you're wanting to write off that, that, uh, that credit because I did this, but you don't have the receipts. Or you want to stretch it just a little bit, because to stretch it might mean that you, you get thrown into another, another tax bracket. And so you hear this voice, but what are you going to do? Or you're, you, you maybe you're in a business and there's a no-compete no clause, and, 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 and you've just totally slipped your mind, truthfully. And then one of your business partners brings it to your attention. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Because there is a struggle and there's a stress that needs to be addressed. One of the things that we're going to look at this week is, um, is this, because we have the tendency to look at the options and look at, for all the benefits. We scan for the benefits, and when we do that, it's so easy for us sometimes most of the time, to forgo the wisdom that God has provided for us. You know what I'm talking about. Making the decision, all of a sudden, you've got to make the decision. You're trying to look for all the benefits. And in the midst of that, sometimes we're looking for shortcuts in life. But the shortcuts might cause us to forego the wisdom. It might forego, it cause us to forego that little voice that says, wait a minute, be careful. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that so much illustrates what we're talking about as stress because we're going to look at the life of a guy by the name of David at a season in his life, a time in his life when he was following God. And he was so in tune. And I want to say this to you. The Bible teaches us that those of us are sheep of the Lord's, that we know his voice. And so when he speaks to you, do you hear him speak? You can't hear him speak unless you're spending time in the Word. And that's why group life is so vitally important to us, that we'd be spending time in God's Word on a, not just a weekly basis, but on a daily basis. Because as we spend time in God's Word, we can listen for his voice. We can, we can hear him. But I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24, because that's where we're going to pick up this story today. 1 Samuel cha chapter 24. And here is David at a point in his life, and he is just about to do something that he would probably be justified in doing. Everybody around him said it was the right thing to do, is what he needed to do, but was it the right thing? Would he choose to address the stress that he was experiencing? Because he knew there was a red flag. He knew that there was a voice that was speaking to him. He knew that there was a whisper in his ear. But how would he respond to that? Um, to sort of bring you up to date, if you've got a New Living Translation, uh, it's, it's on page 449, uh, one of the Bibles that we have. But it's on 1 Samuel chapter 24. And the prophet Samuel had written the book of Samuel to give a little bit of, of an explanation of his life, but also to talk to us about the first king that Israel had, as well as a, a young boy by the name of David who was in being prepared. He was a young shepherd boy, but would be prepared to be the king. 
Um, to bring you up to date, here is King Saul. He had disobeyed God, and as a result, God is in the process of removing him from that leadership position. God calls on the prophet Samuel that we had talked about, whose mother had dedicated him to the Lord earlier on in this, past, in this, in this, uh, in this book. And God sends Samuel. He talks to Samuel. He said, listen, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to see a man by the name of Jesse. Okay, a man by the name of Jesse. And while you're there, it's within one of the sons of Jesse that will be our next king. But when you go, he said, Samuel, I want you to understand this. Don't go looking at the outward appearance of man. Don't go looking at the outward appearance of man. See, what we try to do, and we do this today, how many times do we put people in a leadership position because of what they look or how much money they've got? We do that all the time, don't we? And God says, listen, when you go, don't look on the outward appearance of man. He said, because there's more to it. He said, I want you to understand that I'm considering the heart. So many times we don't see what God sees. When we start talking about leadership, one of the words that comes to my mind is fat. And I'm not talking about weight. I'm talking about fat, faithful, accountable, and teachable. Think about that. I mean, if you've got something, somebody you want to put in a leadership position, don't you want them to be faithful? Don't you want them to have a, a characteristic of being um, accountable? That they're not just accountable to themselves, but they got other people that, that feel like that are holding them accountable? Don't you want somebody in a leadership position that's teachable? That says, listen, I don't know it all. Would you please sit down and talk to me and tell me and teach me and instruct me? And so one of the things that, that we don't see so many times is, is we don't see as God sees. So Jesse goes and he calls his his children together, because Samuel's there, and he says, listen, he meets him, he says, I, I need to see your kids. And so Samuel, uh, so Jesse goes out and he gathers his kids, he, his boys, and he brings them back, and he walks through every one of them. And as he walks through every, every one of them, he gets down to the end and he goes, but I don't see him here. And he says, is there anybody left? I mean, is there a son that maybe I've missed? And Jesse said, well, he said, I've got my, my younger son out there in the field, he's a little shepherd boy, and he said, well, go get him. And I thought to myself as I was reading that and as I was listening to that, may I never see those that are younger as being incapable of accomplishing great things. Some of us see our children where they are in their age or they, we see them in their, in their fits of rage or whatever it is and we go, you'll never amount to anything. Some of you may have even had parents that even told you that. May I never be that type of a person. May we see people for the potential and what they have is Christ in them. And so here's Samuel, he meets David, and, and he looks at him, he said, this is God's man. So Samuel takes the oil that he had brought, he anoints David to be, to be king, that young shepherd boy. He packs up his stuff and he leaves and he goes home and David goes back to the field. Now I have to understand here that this wasn't a public anointing, this was a private anointing. And so Saul would remain king until he would lose his life. In the meantime, they would go about their separate lives. But that anointing of him signified that he had been set apart by God to do great things, that he would eventually become the representative of the nation of Israel. In the meantime, of all Saul's disobedience and everything that was going on, God had already uh, planned to remove Saul and not only remove him from, from leadership, but also prevent that any of his family would ever fill in that position. And so that was the whole reason that David was chosen. That was the whole reason that God had sent Samuel. And so a series of events takes place. Saul ends up meeting David, and he, he came to a place that he loved him so much that Saul made him his armor bearer. Now, this, is, this just wasn't a guy that toted around his armor. 
If I've got somebody standing by my side, understanding that we're going to war, I want somebody on my side that can go to battle with me. And you're saying, but David was just a young shepherd boy. Oh, but word had gotten out that David was a, was a strong warrior as well. He was a very accomplished warrior. And then there was an incident with David that we call the giant. You remember Goliath and the great Philistine? And he was challenging Saul and his army and everybody was afraid. And David finds out and he says, well, I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him. Matter of fact, he said, I've taken on lions and bears and I'll fight this man. Just because he's big doesn't mean anything. And he says, I'll handle him. And handle him he does. And in the midst of that, he cuts his head off and he becomes the WF World Wrestling Federation champion. <laughs> and with that belt comes all the attention. And he's on every radio station and every TV station and everybody's talking about this young boy by the name of David who was the armor bearer of King Saul. He was popular. He was very, very popular to the point that King Saul, a guy who one day, who at one point in time loved him deeply, now became extremely, extremely jealous. So much to the point that he wanted to kill him. And that's where we pick up this story today. David is being pursued by Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. And let's read this together. Is there a stress that needs to be addressed? After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went out on a search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. That's just another word for saying Engedi. I'm thinking to myself, when I think about this, I'm thinking about a, a rocky place. I'm thinking about um, dry. I'm thinking about arid. But that is so far from what Engedi was. Engedi was an oasis. It was a rocky place with many different caverns. Um, and they say that it, some of these caverns could hold thousands of people because of their size. But it's a, a place of fruit trees, and it was a, a place out in the middle of, of nowhere, and, and it was just a great area. And look at verse 3 near the, the rock of the wild goats, at a place where the road passes some sheepfolds, in other words, where some sheep could be kept um, naturally or by some, some devices that they had put up to keep them in, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. That's another word, Oxford word for going to the bathroom. Okay, So you get this picture in your mind. They, they, they're walking. They're looking for David. Saul says, hold up, guys. i got to go to the bathroom. It goes on to say, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now, from a logistical standpoint, knowing that David's being pursued, David's men knows that they're being pursued, here's Saul stopping saying, guys, i got to go to the bathroom. They end up in the same cave. Now, logically, it looks like what? God has brought him to us. We can knock him off. I mean, think about it. Here they are, scared to death. Man, he's coming after us. He's going to kill us. Dark cave, they're hiding. Saul says, stop. i got to go to the bathroom. What are the chances out of all these caves that they would stop and he would go into the one cave? We can't find uh, Osama bin Laden in the caves. <laughs> but here he is, he stops in the same cave that he stops and goes to the bathroom in. Here's David and his men hiding. With his pants down, for goodness sakes. I took a friend of mine in college. He had never, he had never been deer hunting. 
he'd heard about it, but he'd never been. So when we were in college, I said, well, man, I'll take you, I'll take you deer hunting. We'll be okay. We'll do this. And so it was the last weekend of hunting season, John. It was nasty, rainy. It was terrible. And so I, I told daddy, I said, listen, take him and, and, and let him kill a deer. So I think he shot like seven or eight times at different deer. These were different deer. And daddy came back and he says, I just, I don't know what to do. He said, he said, he just, I, I put him on a deer and here's one. And he said, he had just, he beats a truck to death because he's so, he's so nervous, you know? And so I, I told him, I said, listen, man, I said, um, it's Saturday afternoon. We got to leave tomorrow to go back. So this has got to be it. So I knew a place where, where some deer were laid up. And I said, now listen to me. Don't you dare shoot me. I said, but this is what you're going to do. Um, I'm going to set you on the fence row, and I want you to stand right here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through. Mr. John, this is over at the farm, right, right in the middle of the farm. And I said, I'm going to walk through here. And I said, what's going to happen? They're going to get up, and I said, they're going to walk out right to you. Do not shoot me, okay? <laughs> I gave him a shotgun, so he's got a shotgun. So anyway, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm walking through the woods. It's quiet. I'm thinking, dear Jesus, he's fixing to shoot me. He's going to think, and I, I was probably 30 yards away from him in his thick brush, and, and so I knew the deer would be laid up in there. And about that time, he shot. And when he shot, man, I just, I just fell on my knees because I thought I'd been shot <laughs> because it was getting late, and I knew I was getting close. Well, I hear this, I think I got him. I said, man, I thought you got me. Where are you at? So I walked through the woods, and he's standing there. A, he'd killed this deer, and he's zipping up his pants. And I said, man, what in the world are you doing? He said, you ain't going to believe it. He said, man, I was standing here, and I thought to myself, there is no way. He said, there is no way a deer is going to walk out. And, man, I had to really go to the bathroom. We drank all that coffee this morning. And so I was sitting there going to the bathroom. I'd lean my gun up against the fence. And he said, here walks the, door, the deer out 15 foot away from me. He just stands there and looks at me. And he said, so I shot the deer with my pants down. <laughs> and here is David in somewhat the same situation. He's got Saul with his pants down. What in the world is he going to do? And here's David's men thinking, I know what we can do. Look at what it says in verse 4. Now here is your opportunity. David whispers to them. Today, um, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. Now don't you know that these guys knew that Saul was after them? Don't you know that there were some conversations around the campfire at night? What would take place and how they would eventually meet up with, with Saul and what that skirmish would look like? Don't you think they'd already had some conversations about this? And it took place. And they're saying to, they're saying to David, listen, what we had talked about is now happening. God is delivering him to your hands. Kill him. Kill him. Continued on in verse 4, so David crept forward. He crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Cut off the hem of his robe? What in the world is all that about? I mean, you got your chance and you, you crawl up and you cut off a piece of the hem of his robe. Here's David's men thinking, what are you doing? God has provided. 
kill him. David just cuts off a piece of the robe. I mean, he, he gets, he, he, he hears what the guys are saying. He's feeling in his heart what's going on in his heart. He, he looks and sees what's logical. And it, it looks like God has answered his prayers. And if that's the way he felt, and that was what was going on in his mind, and that's what the guys are saying, why in the world would he cut off a piece of the hymn? I wonder if it was because of the still small voice that was whispering in his ear. Here he is faced with a decision. Do I kill the king? He's pursuing me, but do I kill the king? But see, he knew because he, he listened to God's voice. He knew that, that God was opposed to him murdering the one that he would, had anointed. And so he had to make a decision. And at the last minute, he decides that he would not replace what God had put in place. See, I bet when he started out, when he was creeping up, that that first step, his first intention was to knock him out. Knock him out, John. I, be, I believe with all my heart that was his intention. Knock him out, take him out, because God has provided. But the closer he got, the, the closer he got to the situation, the more he thought, and as he's listening, he's going through what looks right, what seems to benefit me the most. He's going through all these scenarios in his, in his mind, and there is a stress that he's underneath, and he, a stress that needs to be addressed. And instead of killing him, he decides at that last minute, to cut the hem of the garment off. To cut it off. At the last minute, David said, God, I'm going to listen to you. Have you ever said this? I know it's not right, but. You ever done that? I know this isn't right, but. And you come up with some type of an excuse. I know it's not right, but. And you did it anyway. But David said this, I am not going to ignore the truth. I will not take it into my own hands. And so he cuts off a piece of the robe. Look at verse 5. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He's thinking back to what's going on. And look at what he says in verse 6. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to the Lord's king. In other words, I hear what you say, Lord. I know what I felt, but killing was wrong. And the more he thought about it, the more he thought about it, the stronger that stress became. And then he said this, The Lord forbid that I should do this to the Lord my king and attack the Lord's anointed one. Wow. Verse 7, So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I mean, these guys are primed and ready to go. And here he is, he cuts off the hem of the garment instead of killing him. They're primed and ready to go. And verse 7 continued, After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him. Now, we don't know how far away he was. But all we know is Scripture says that he went out of the cave. And when he went out of the cave, he went out of his safety zone because all of a sudden he was exposed. He was exposed to these 3,000 men plus. And the Bible says that he came out of the darkness and he comes out in the midst of the army. And he says that he bowed down before Saul in a sign of submission and humility and he cried out and he declared that he was king in front of everybody and that he was God's anointed. Now you can read verses 9 through 11 and read that. But look at verse 12. May the Lord judge between us. 
Saul, I know that you're upset with me, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do the right thing. I wasn't, as a matter of fact, I was going to kill you. But I listened to that voice. I listened to that, <clears throat> I listened to that, that check that I had in my spirit. And I thought to myself, okay, God, I've got a choice to make. I've got a decision to make. What am I going to do? And I choose today to obey God and leave all the consequences up to Him. That's what I'm going to choose to do. God, I'm going to choose in the midst of my choice to, to address the stress, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to leave everything up to you. Look at the remainder of 12 there. May the Lord judge between us, he says. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never, ever harm you. I'm going to listen to that voice. I'm going to address the stress. I'm going to respect your position. And even though you're going to treat me, even though you've treated me wrongly, I will not retaliate. Is that applicable to any of us in this room today? Is that applicable? It's a whole lot easier to come to church on Sunday morning, isn't it, guys, and hear some, some great music and, and somebody tell you a funny story. But is it applicable to you that I will choose to trust what God's Word says and that I will choose to trust Him and leave all the consequences up? I mean, isn't, isn't that applicable to where? Because some of you guys in here have been hurt. And some of you in here have chosen to retaliate. But what would David tell us? He would say, address the stress. Skip down to verse 15. May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. For he is my advocate. You might want to underline the word advocate. And he will rescue me from your power. It was several years ago that I was, at, I was, I was uh, this the word advocate became so vitally important to me. And what that means is that God will be your spokesperson, that he will speak on your behalf, that he'll stand up in a court of law and that he will represent you, that God takes the responsibilities for people and their actions that are fully, completely devoted to him. That when you are living a life and you are completely, fully, com completely fully devoted to Christ and you living for him, that God takes the responsibility of being your advocate and speaking on your behalf. <clears throat> See, my responsibility is to obey God, to look for Him for guidance and instruction, and do my best to discern His will and to carry out those actions and to leave the outcome up to Him. And in the midst of it, I don't have to explain myself because He becomes my advocate and He speaks on my behalf. Isn't that awesome to have God as your advocate? Unbelievable. You're talking about, a, you're talking about standing in the court of law. And here he is, your advocate. There are those times that every one of us, I promise you, have been in a place where you've tried to explain yourself away. And God says, listen, I'll be your advocate. I'll defend you. I'll defend your reputation. I'll defend your family. And David says, I don't need to defend myself. God will defend me. And he will represent me. And by the time David finishes, Saul knows exactly that what he's saying is true. And he acknowledges the fact that one day David will be king. And what Saul does is he just cries for mercy and he pleads for mercy. Unbelievable story. In the long run, what Saul pleads for is he pleads for his life and he pleads for his family and descendants. And David, David says, okay, and he promises Saul and they depart and they leave. 
And in the last chapter of, of 1 Samuel, if you go back and read, you'll find out where the Philistines had attacked. Uh, Saul was put in a, in a situation. An arrow had pierced his armor. Um, and Saul didn't want to be tormented by the Philistines. And so the Bible says that he killed himself. And David was made king. That's where the transition. David had the opportunity to take Saul's life. He had the opportunity to take him out, but he said, I will choose and I will wait and I will trust God. And he listened to that voice. He listened to that, that feeling in his gut. And he chose to address the stress, even though it wasn't the most popular. I wonder what David's men said about him when they walked out that cave. This is ridiculous. What do you mean, man? I thought you were a leader. I thought you were a warrior, but you chickened out. You ever been in a situation where you knew that there was that voice that was speaking to you and you chose to, to listen to the voice at the extent of what everybody else was saying? It's a whole lot easier to do what everybody else wants you to do, isn't it? It is. A whole lot easier to do that. But what would God have us do? David took a breath and he said, God, I am going to trust you. The stresses that we face in life, the times that those still small voices rattle around in our brains, the times that we are challenged in having to make a decision that we don't want to make, but we know we have to make. And all of a sudden, that stress begins to arrive. You know what that stress is? For those of us that are Christians, that stress is nothing more than an opportunity for us to demonstrate the faith that we say that we have. That's all it is. Am I going to trust God or am I just going to do more church? Am I going to obey God or am I going to try to take things into my hands and act as if I am God? And David said, I'm not going to ignore the stress. That wasn't what I set out to do, but I'm not going to ignore the stress. I left that place that I was hiding with the intent of killing. But the closer I got, the stronger that voice came to my mind. And I realized that would not be what God would want me to do. And so even though it was at the last minute, I chose to cut off a piece of his heart, a garment. And I still think there's more spiritual significance to that than what we realize. A whole lot more spiritual significance. But David said, I'm not going to ignore it. Later on down in David's life, David wasn't obedient to God. And he had a time in his life where he just decided to put God in the rearview mirror. And he took control of what, he, what at one time in his life he said that God had control of. And as a result, his life became a mess. And the consequences of his sin not only affected him, but it affected many other people. But it's so easy for us to find ourselves in the same situation, isn't it, guys? So easy for us to find ourselves because daily we must spend time in God's Word listening for His voice. Every one of us have those stories of addressing a stress or a stress that needs to be addressed. And it might start off like a passing thought. It might be um, that, that voice whispering in your ear. Um, it might be in reference to the lack of accountability or being able to take advantage of a certain situation. Or it might, what turns out, turns out, started out as a gesture of love, all of a sudden turns into some type of a moral failure. Or it might be what began as an act of service ends up being something that leads to personal gain. Are you with me? And there's a stress that needs to be addressed. What are you going to do with it? 
The truth is every one of us is going to have to make decisions. And along that journey, there are going to be stresses in life. For those of us that are Christians, those of us that are followers of Christ, are we going to be willing to stop and to pause in the midst of that and to listen and say, okay, God, what is it that I should do? So the question, when the voice speaks, when the stress comes, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, when you get that check in your spirit, Will you pause and consider the stress? What happens when the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention? You're involved in something and there's something that you know and it's just there. What are you going to do? Will you listen? Will you obey? Just remember, when we obey God and we trust Him, He takes full responsibility. He becomes our advocate and He speaks on our behalf. Guys, isn't that all we got to do is following. All we got to do is obeying. All we got to do is trusting. And then he stands in the court of law and he defends us. He becomes our advocate. Um, for some of you, and, and maybe you're not a follower of Christ, maybe that whisper in your ear is the Holy Spirit saying, trust me. Just trust me. See, for those of us that are followers of Jesus and we've said we've identified and we believe that Jesus died on the cross, he's saying, trust me. And it's easy to say that we trust him, but the next step is to truly trust him because I promise you this, if you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you will not be exposed to opportunities that will cause you to shake and to shimmer sometimes. You still have to make a choice, a daily choice to follow him. It is not a one-time choice. It is a daily choice. But for those of you that are here that have never trusted Christ, I wonder if it's just not that whisper in your ear, trust me, trust me. We've tried to give you three questions so far. And these three questions, believe it or not, you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to answer these three questions. Don't even have to be a believer. Am I being completely honest with myself? Um, what kind of story do I want to one day look back and tell? Or is there a stress that needs to be addressed? The fourth question is the best. I hope you come back next week. It's an awesome question. Because it ties everything together. Everything together. So I don't know what stress you may be facing today. I don't know what decision you might have going on right now that you need to make. But the stress needs to be addressed. The question is just whatever you're going to do with it. Right, Sharon? Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, it's so easy to talk about Jesus sometimes than it is to follow him. Following Jesus is a, is a place that takes us in dying to ourself so that Christ can live in us. But Lord, you are so gracious. Help us, Father, from this point to opt for that option that best represents your heart. There are people here today that I know that are facing decisions, that are, that are talking themselves into making decisions and driving right past the stresses. 
Here you are trying to speak to them, and instead of pausing to listen, to ask what is it that I need to do, and, 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 and listening and, and wanting to be obedient, Lord, they're just, they're just speeding right through that. And here you are saying, wait, hold up, listen, <laughs> pay attention. But Father, they're not there because their heart is just set on doing what they want to do regardless. Father, would you give us the courage just to throw up our hands in a, in a sign of submission and say, God, Lord, I just want to follow you and I want to do your will more than anything. On that business deal, whatever it is, may we address that stress. Um, Lord, would you give us courage as followers of Christ? Lord, give us courage as a church um, not, to, not to get off on tangents, but Father, to come to a place of understanding your instructions and to follow your wisdom. Father, help us pay attention, not only individually, but corporately as a body of believers. May we listen to your voice. For those of us that are here today and we've got that knife in our hands and we're ready to strike just as David was, Father, I pray that the tension and the stress would just be so overwhelming. Father, bring us to a place just to lay it down and say, God, even in this, I'm going to trust you because you're God and I'm not. For the person that's here that doesn't know Christ, that has never made that decision to acknowledge the fact that he is Lord, today with the whisper, maybe that whisper even be, would you trust me? Would you trust me? Because the biggest decision we can ever make in our lives is coming to a place where we say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you because of who you are but not only who you are, but what you did because of what you did for me. And because of that, God, I trust you because I surely can't save myself. So if there are people like that today that just says, I want to listen today to that voice, the Holy Spirit is calling out to me, Lord, would they even identify that by coming to me afterwards and saying, I want to listen. I want to trust Jesus. I want to follow him. That would be awesome. But for those of us that are here that have already identified with Christ and say we're followers of Jesus, Send us out today to address the stresses of life. And when we come to that place, Father, I pray that we would choose to trust you in everything. And then we would leave the consequences up to you. That we would know, God, today that you are our advocate. Our responsibility, Lord, is just to trust you. And then say, okay, God, it's yours now. It's yours. So, Father, we leave these walls today and go out these doors to make a difference in this community in which we live. So that we can not only live a legacy of faith, but Father, also be able to leave it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.